0: This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Hello,
1: I'm Brett Gilliland, founder and CEO of Visionary Wealth Advisors and host of the Circuit of Success podcast. We're excited to bring to you this year our first ever Circuit of Success Summit. This year, we're having people like Dave Peacock, Shannon Rush, Ben Newman, Dr. Jason Selk, Maxine Clark, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, and I will be speaking as well. And we all know that tomorrow's leaders are so important. So we've decided this year to invite kids from the schools in our area, to have them come and listen to a great day of motivation and inspiration. So we look forward to you joining the kids and us for this year's Circuit of Success Summit on April 24th, 2018. To reserve your seat today, you can go to visionarywealthadvisors.com. Welcome to the circuit of success and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to the circuit of success. I'm your host Brett Gilliland and today we have a former NFL quarterback. We have a father of four boys. We have a husband. We have a spiritual man. We have an author. We have Jeff Kemp with us today. Jeff how you doing? Hey
0: Brett I'm good. I'm looking forward to this conversation.
1: Great me me as well. uh, As I'm doing my research man I'm learning more and more about your life and you've had uh, you've had quite the journey. Okay, quite the journey. So, why don't you, like on every Circuit of Success podcast, we uh, have our, our, our guests walk through their lives and what's helped them make them the person they are today. So, why don't you share with our listeners who you are and what's made you the man you are today?
0: You know what? I, I'm kind of a late blooming success and never as big a success as I dreamt of being. Uh, the funny thing is, we all have kind of our own self concept, and other people may look at us differently. Um, I grew up. In a family of kind of performance, achievement, athleticism, and leadership. Um, my dad was a professional quarterback for the Buffalo Bills when I was a little kid. So, you know, whenever people said, Hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, oh, Play quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> I, I didn't really know that was kind of a hard job to, to get, and the odds aren't really, uh, you know, stacked in your favor in that regard. Um, but that's kind of what I wanted to do. Is I wanted to play football. And uh, I was a late bloomer. I was. I've actually played 20 years of football in my life, um, 11 in the NFL, um, and nine before that, back to peewee football. I've only been the starter, starting quarterback, one time in all those 20 years going into the season, and that's kind of weird wow. for a guy who ended up making it in the NFL.
1: Yeah,
0: it kind of just shows that, you know, I was kind of, uh, you know, a shorter, uh, late bloomer. I had a strong arm, but I wasn't the, the, the you know the superstar. Uh, my high school won a championship in, in the state of Maryland, and uh, my dad tried to get me recruited to ACC and Division I schools, and no one wanted me. Fortunately, I had great grades. I went to Dartmouth and got to play football there, but that was kind of the highest level I could play at and uh, not a great breeding grounds for the NFL. Right. Um, and I had real encouragement from my dad. Oh, my gosh, I think probably the reason I made it is my dad – he would always say, like when we'd leave the house or he'd write us a note, he'd say, remember, you're a camp, be a leader. You're a camp, be a leader. You're a camp, be a leader. He just drove it into me that I was a leader. My life was meant to make a difference. I was meant to lead the way, show the way, uh, make things better. Um, he'd say, hey, your day's going to come. Think like a starter. Uh, you know, you played great today, Jeff. You look great. I said, Dad, I didn't even get in the game. And, uh, he'd say, oh, I know. I saw you warming up. You're really throwing well. So my dad was the ultimate optimist, encourager, um, and that vision casting and affirmation uh, made a huge difference in my perseverance. So my story has a lot to do with perseverance and uh, never giving up. Great mom, um, pretty cool family. None of us know how weird our families are till we're fully grown up. None of us are completely normal. Uh, but I was really quite blessed. And uh, then um, I had a faith in God, but it was kind of an intellectual thing, uh, like I kind of have it in the in the category of an insurance policy in my pocket. You know, God will forgive me if I mess up too bad, and I'd like to go to heaven when I die. And if I get in a pinch, I'll call on him. But I'm kind of running the show here, and I'll use a few of his principles. Um, kind of a self-centered approach towards a relationship with the one who created the Rocky Mountains and the Himalayas and little babies and every human being ever. Um, and that didn't handle college that well. Um, I started drifting into insecurity um, performance um, trying to measure up trying to be popular had to be a success worried what the girls thought about me with worried about what the guys thought about me um, made a lot of co- compromises and, and by the time college ended um, I'd kind of made it though I you know my acne cleared up I was popular I had some girlfriends I was in a fraternity uh, we'd, we'd had a good football team I had a contract to play with the Los Angeles Rams had a degree in economics. Uh, you know, with a good grade point average from an Ivy League school, uh, was partying like crazy and just having the good life.
1: Living the dream. Yeah,
0: living the dream, having as much fun as I ever wanted to have. But interestingly, this is like during about a week period between the end of college, excuse me, the end of classes and the graduation. I'd go to bed at 3, 4 in the morning, um, inebriated, and I was sober as could be in my spirit it was like I was considering my future. I was realizing who am I and who am I going to be and where am I going? And I'm having more fun than ever before. And I'm a a huge success. At least everyone thinks so, but I am empty and I am selfish Mm -hmm. and I'm a follower and I'm insecure. And uh, I didn't like that feeling. And I'd had enough upbringing to know that God's real and he's really the source of good things. Um, I knew he was the answer, but I wasn't living like he was the answer. And so the wild thing is this, this: this passage in the Bible. It's in the book of Romans. It says, "All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose." That passage came in my head twice, uh, like at five in the morning when I couldn't go to sleep. I was drunk, but I was sober, spiritually sober, and I realized I was living for Jeff as my purpose, and it was not working out. I looked successful, but I, I wasn't at peace. And so that's when I kind of said, you know what, I'm going to try life your way, God. Let Jesus be in my purpose, be in charge. And I went out to the Rams. Uh, all these guys got hurt. I got to play. I made the team. It was surprising. I met my wife who had been praying for me that summer. She didn't even know me yet, but read about me in the paper and saw that we were practicing and knew that I had a faith in God um, and was praying for me. And we ended up meeting on a wild kind of blind date. And it was like clear God brought us together together um wow. so that that's my backstory we ended up having these four kids and uh played five years at the rams um did pretty well one year we went to the playoffs but then they traded me to the niners uh i thought i would never get to play with joe montana ahead of me but he got he, he got hurt the first game of the year in 86 and uh i had my best season ever with great coaching and jerry rice catching the ball and They said, thank you very much and traded me because they wanted Steve Young to be Joe's future (laughs) replacement and not me. So I went to Seattle and I started learning that a lot of my purpose in football um, was to invest in the relationships of the guys on the team. And they used a platform in the off season to make the lives of kids and and families better. And uh, by the time football ended in, two let's see, 1992, I was pretty wired to want to do something that... um, impacted kids by addressing the quality of their parents' lives, and the best way to do that is to strengthen marriage. So I ran a nonprofit for 18 years called Stronger Families, focused on strengthening marriages and families, and um, then worked for Family Life, do marriage conferences with my wife, but I focused pretty much on speaking to men and teams um, on uh, kind of relationship-based leadership and how to to overcome life's blitzes, because I've faced a few, and I know that blitzes can turn out really well if you know what to do.
1: Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Well, that that's a that's a big uh, journey there.
0: You asked me. I tried to cram it in as fast as I could.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So, let's, there's lots of things and lots of questions I have there. So, you know, as little as throwing the ball to Jerry Rice, what was that like? Maybe we'll talk about that later. But you know, let's talk about the the big stuff here. I mean, obviously, you learned a lot about yourself in those sobering moments, if you will. But Talk to us about that role. You, you know, you and I have something in common. We both have four boys, and, and there's lots of moms and dads that listen to this uh, listen to this show. And talk to us about the importance of just being that dad. I know your dad was very important in your life. Um, obviously, you've got four boys; they're you're very important in their life. So, what was it like in the journey when it was crazy? You're trying to build a career, whether that was in football or business, when you were done, but still juggling the life of being there for four kids. Talk to us about that.
0: Well, it's a great question because I think one of the biggest challenges is a lot of guys that are dads don't realize it is the most important thing that they have going on other than their marriage. Um, And, you know, Mike Singletary, the linebacker I played against a lot of times, he used to say that the single most important thing you can do to love your kids is to love your wife. So he elevated Mm -hmm. marriage really, really high. Um, and I agree with him. Um, but back to the question of being a dad during those busy years where you're trying to build your career, you know, trying to make it out a team, trying to uh, get to the playoffs. Um, I had a phenomenal wife that really helped me out during the seasons when I was gone more often and especially during training camp when I was gone five weeks. Um, but then the off seasons weren't bad at all. I had a lot of time with my kids and, uh, I got home for dinner most every single night during the seasons um, except for, you know, the two, two days we'd go away every other week for a road game. Um, so for me, I think I knew that being a dad was about the most fun and most important thing that I would do, um, you know, beyond making sure that uh, my relationship with Stacy was the rock solid one that gives kids security. Cause your kids feel secure if they can see mom and dad, uh, Argue, have differences, heal the differences, hug each other, kiss each other, solve their problems, go on dates, hold hands, laugh, um, stick together, praise each other, not mock each other, um, you know, still make eyes at each other, still notice each other, um, make it clear that they're committed for life, uh, go to counseling if they got problems, have a mentor couple to get some help, um, you know show up at church and make worshiping God and being a part of a community, a part of their life, have other couples that come to the house and talk about marriage, and and uh, that's what we had. And my kids, I think, saw that. Um, but I loved – I'll tell you, my formula for fathering wasn't that complicated. Um, it was be home for dinner, uh, put them to bed and read, read books to them, uh, pray with them every single night possible, um, listen to their prayers, and then play with them. P-L-A-Y. I played with my kids a lot whenever I could. Um, And that's playing catch. And that's sometimes it's gardening in the backyard. If that's what they liked, and I didn't like that, but that's what you got to do if your kid likes gardening. Um, And uh, took them skiing and uh, went on bike rides. and.
1: uh, I think what I'm hearing is uh, the old T-I-M-E, right? Time 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 together together.
0: and uh, time doing things that, that they like. And then there's some things that you're going to teach them and help them learn to like, but you can't cram it down their throat. Just like my dad didn't cram football down my throat. I quit football one year and uh, he let me quit eighth grade. Um, and that was the only reason I quit is because I was a second string quarterback and I was embarrassed and frustrated. Yeah. Fathering, fathering is not easy.
1: If you want to be honest about it, right.
0: You also got to remember it can be fun and give yourself permission to have fun. Um, hang out with those kids and and play with them and joke with them and come up with a cool handshake for each kid that's different. And, uh, you know, spend creative time together, create some memories.
1: So you've you obviously learned a lot from your dad. And, and for those of you that may or may not remember who his dad was, but NFL quarterback and then had a great career in, in politics, was, the, uh, was it the housing yeah. secretary uh, for President George W. Bush or H.W. Bush, sorry. Um, and you know, so what was that like? I mean, you're, you're a young man and you're probably getting to go to the White House, I assume, and see dad at work and maybe in the Oval Office. I mean, what was that experience well,
0: like? Well, one of the cool things about my dad, his name was Jack Kemp. He ran for vice president, ran, he was secretary of housing and urban development and was in Congress a long time. And he was a great speaker. He was a great American. He was a statesman. He wasn't really a politician. He, he could work with the Democrats. Um, yeah. but dad brought me and my siblings into the political world, into the adult world. He would bring economists and athletes and congressmen and, and Jerry Ford and people like that home to dinner. And and he'd keep us kids up to have a late dinner. When he came home from Congress, he'd talk to us. Um, he, he had Gene Kirkpatrick, the ambassador to the UN, explain detente to 14-year-old Jeff one time. Uh, and Dad included us. He took me to the Capitol. I let, I got to go play at the Capitol gym while he was up in his office working, and I'd meet other congressmen and play racquetball with him and stuff. Um, he came to all my games. Um, he, he'd take speeches all across the country, and he'd say, yeah, I'll do that speech. You just got to make sure you fly me home so I can see my son's game. Uh, so he had a pretty similar um, priority on being at our events, though I think my dad emphasized – leadership and performance in terms of achievements and visible things. And I've tried to emphasize with my son's character and relationships over performance and achievements. And it turns out all my kids were great athletes. They did well in school. They've accomplished things. They have cool jobs. uh, They have their struggles. In fact, there's a struggle in each one of their lives right now, and, and my wife and I are praying for them, and we know that that's what we went through when we were you know, young and, and, and married or just getting started with our careers. But uh, um, my, my, my dad was a great encourager and cast a lot of vision and really helped me know that I could achieve, I could perform, I could lead. But that is not all that there is. And we've got a world that achieves a lot. We've got a world that performs a lot. We've got people with a ton of cash uh, and investments. We've got people with popularity and, and followers on Twitter and fame. And they do not have peace because their relationships suck. And if your relationships suck, your life sucks. And it kind of comes down to this. You're you're either living a paradigm of consuming from other people or you're living a paradigm of investing in other people. And that's probably my most crucial metaphor um, for what leads to a good life and what leads to a messed up life. Um, You can make money and get some awards and accomplish some things. Um, But if you don't have strong relationships, you won't be able to enjoy that. You won't have a great legacy. You won't be remembered in the way you want to be remembered. Um, And there won't be, you know, a wife and some fun kids and some grandkids to hang out with kind of as the journey winds down as you get older. So uh, relationships and character and faith are what it's all about. And if you want that, you need to realize God loves us enough that we can invest in others instead of needing to consume from them to get our ego
1: stroked or get our needs met. That's great perspective. Thank you for sharing that. So let's talk about, uh, I'm a big believer in habits and rituals. I mean, so when you look at your your sports career, now you look at your business career, what, what were the habits and rituals that you, like no mess, you did them every single day that led to your success?
0: Well, that's a great question. I'm a... Uh, an ADD personality. I'm spontaneous, I'm free flowing, I'm a visionary. Discipline doesn't come as naturally to me as it came to my coaches who gave it to me. And I wanted to succeed so badly that I listened to my coaches, responded to their discipline, and I worked really hard. So I don't know that I'm the the world's champion on those daily repeated disciplines, but a a few have been central to my life um, even if I don't practice them perfectly consistently every day. Uh, number one is I try to start my day every day and I have way back till my rookie year at football by beginning with God. And sometimes it's a really short amount of time. Sometimes it's a little bit longer, but it's kind of praying and saying, God, you gave me life. You gave me this day. Um, I want to know you better. You know, can you show me something in your Bible and can I pray Um, a little bit at the beginning of this day that you'd guide me and uh, give me your direction uh, and give me your wisdom and make sure that I'm aiming at the right things. Um, So kind of a relationship with God in the morning that kind of sets the tone for all day. That's been one habit that's been crucial. The second habit that's been crucial, um, and this one actually has some fascinating research associated with it. I pray with my wife, Stacy, every single day of my life. And when I'm on the road, I occasionally miss, but often I'll pray with her on the phone. And we usually pray when we go to bed at night, but I'll do it at other times of the day too, because sometimes she falls asleep when I'm praying late at night <laughs> or some need comes up. And, and I, I, I've heard that you cannot find one-tenth of 1% of people who pray together every day in their marriage who divorce. Uh, it's just uncanny how Praying together builds an intimacy and a bond and a humility, a connection um, that helps marriages go the distance and heal and thrive and, and grow, um, and that, that's a second habit. Uh, when you want to get to the ones that talk about, hey, so what do you do on the football field? Is You just pray with your wife and pray to God and read a little Bible? No, I do those things, but I was a hard worker, and I love to compete against myself to get better at everything. Um, and I, I have that attitude um, towards a speech I'm giving or a message I'm presenting to someone. I, I want to I make it better. I want to keep learning. Uh, I want to improve. I, I want to do it better than I did it before. Um, and I think I do better when I compete against myself than when I compete against other people. I think it's ego and pride that make us compete against others, but it's actually uh, a healthy confidence um, that drives to be better by competing against yourself. And in that sense, um, you know, my hard work and perseverance uh, was assisted by the coaches who gave me discipline back in football. Uh, since that time, I'm kind of a last-minute guy. But at the last minute, I start working really hard to prepare for whatever I'm doing. Um, but it's, And that's why I said I don't think I'm the world's best habits guy.
1: Yeah, well, but, but again, that hard work, that grit, right, is, is what it's all about too. You can have the best plans and all these rituals, but if you don't take action, which is one of the circuits of success, that action is what's going to make all the difference in the world.
0: Another, another one, um, Brett, is I am a continual learner. And I think my wife, um, one of the things that she's thanked me for and praised me for, and there's plenty of things that she wouldn't praise me for, <laughs> um, is that I always want to grow. I always want to get better. I always want to change as a person. I always want our marriage to be better. I want to be better as a dad. Um, I want to be better in my relationship with God. I want to be better in relationships with people. I want to have more influence. I I want to improve um, at whatever I'm doing. So to do that, you need to learn. And, And you need to be humble enough to say, I am flat out not that smart. And I don't know that much. And other people do. And I can learn from tons of people, you know, some people may stink at this, this, and this, but they're great at that. So I'm going to ask them questions about that. Cause they're really good at that. And I want to learn, you know, how did they do that? How do they handle finances like that? Um, how, how did you balance your career? I found a guy at Microsoft who really balanced his career really well. Um, he didn't, um, lose his marriage. He didn't lose his kids. They all stayed close. He made plenty of money in his life. And he told me, you know what? My dad had a good job, and kept getting offers for promotions to other cities, but he decided that we had a good home, his wife was happy, Our kid, the kids were good, happy in school, and he didn't want to rock the boat, um, and so he stuck with that job, and that taught the son, my friend at Microsoft, um, who advanced many times, but he also passed on a few advancements when they had such a high price that they were gonna compromise uh, the lifestyle and the family that he had prioritized. Um, so I learned from that guy and I learned from other speakers and, and I, I learned from marriage experts and I learned from fathering experts. I have mentors in fathering. I have mentors in marriage. I have mentors in, in reaching men. I, I, you know, Pat Lencioni is a mentor of mine in, in teamwork and building a culture that is way smarter than others because you value all the people. Man, I want to learn that stuff. So I'd say that's one of the habits. Ask questions of people all the time and try to learn from them.
1: So let's talk about the circuit of success now. Let's talk about the attitude. When you hear that word, what comes to mind? Attitude.
0: Well, your attitude shapes your behaviors and your habits. And uh, those things, of course, are what leads to results, either good or bad in life. Um, you know, you, you, you can't control about 90% of what happens to you in life, but you can control your attitude 100%. And then I think of a passage... Uh, and a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to uh, some people in in the city of Philippi. And he said, you know what? You should have the same mindset and the same attitude as Jesus Christ, who was the most humble person ever. And he Mm -hmm. always prioritized other people over himself. Well, the attitude of humility doesn't mean you're a doormat and it doesn't mean that you have no value. It means you just look at yourself accurately so I'd say the very starting attitude that is the most important is humility. Look at yourself accurately. God made me. I can't brag. God makes good stuff. I shouldn't beat myself up. I'm not as good as God. I need to stay humble. And uh, I have some strengths, and those strengths are gifts, and I need to steward those strengths, and I need, need to build my identity around those strengths. And and then humility doesn't brag about those things. It stewards them, and humility tells yourself that i'm not more important than other people i'm not higher than them because i played in the nfl or because i'm a starting quarterback i'm better than the backup i mean we, we saw this year that nick falls was just as good as carson Wentz right. and and frank reich a backup quarterback and um uh, doug peterson a backup quarterback those guys did pretty darn well uh, and i think they had faith
1: yeah, look at the Alabama football game, college.
0: Yeah, the backup, the back, the backup quarterback steps in and uh, rocks it. Tua, uh, that kid for Alabama, he won't be a, a backup anymore, I don't think, because he just yeah. he blew everyone away with clutch performance. But um, humility says, I'm not worse or better than other people. I'm not more important than other people. I'm not above other people, and they're not above me. And it says that I I always have room to grow, um, and I, I see my life in in the context that. I didn't invent myself. I didn't give myself breath. I'm not the one who woke myself up this morning, even if I set my alarm. Um, I'm kind of fortunate that God lets my lungs do the breathing and my circuit uh, pump the blood, and my brain operates the perfect balance, and that the conditions here on earth are outrageously, minutely, finely tuned to support life, and we can't find it anywhere else. I think that calls for humility. So attitude starts with seeing yourself accurately and seeing other people um, as imperfect creations of God who deserve your special treatment and good relationship, even when they're imperfect. Um, Then beyond that, I think that optimism is one of the greatest attitudes. Um, We can make things better, and bad things can turn good. And things don't just go from good to bad. They also go from bad to good. And and my attitude that I will make things better, I will bring out some lemonade from this situation of lemons, I'll turn this blitz into a touchdown, even if I end up on my back because I have man-to-man coverage and no free safety in the middle of the field. Uh, optimism is a crucial part of uh, your attitude. And and then I think probably another one, although I could mention many, is uh, gratitude. Absolutely. Gratitude. I mean, that, that, that goes with humility and it also goes with optimism and makes you much more fun person to be around when you're grateful instead of acting entitled.
1: I could not agree more. And I think obviously we, from beliefs, that's the second circuit. We, we know already, I mean, it's very clear what your beliefs are. Um, and then, so the third one is actions. Um, and, and you've talked a lot about actions. So, I mean, I think really what you've been saying and in, in quote unquote preaching, right? Because we, we got to preach what we believe in my opinion. Uh, and I don't mean that from a religious standpoint, but you, you got to sure. preach what we believe, right? And so
0: um, you got to you got to you got to live it, and you got to make sure that absolutely the tongue in your shoes and the tongue in your mouth are going the same direction.
1: I like that. I've never heard that before. That's a rider downer. Um, so walk our listeners through you know, your book, right? Facing the Blitz. Let's talk about that. Obviously, you're a football player. I think we can all understand the name of the book, but uh, tell us more about it.
0: Well, um, in football, a blitz is an all-out attack. You know, the defense is using as much force as they can, extra linebackers, maybe a free safety, maybe a strong safety, maybe a corner off the corner. They're using extra people more than normal to attack the offense, attack the quarterback, try to cause um, an injury, a fumble.
1: And they're trying to wreak havoc. They're they're not coming to play nice. No,
0: it's crisis time. They're they're trying to wreak havoc, just like you said. Um, And it is the most dangerous time of the game. In a sense, it's a crisis. But – The word crisis, interestingly, in the Chinese language has two symbols, kind of like a yin and a yang. One of the symbols is danger, and the other symbol is opportunity. Hmm. Danger and opportunity. That's what a blitz is. And and I I see the metaphor um, for how in in football, Drew Brees is welcoming the blitz. Russell Wilson's welcoming the blitz. Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, uh, Tom Brady. They're welcoming the blitz because they know that it represents opportunity and they are not afraid to face it square on, get hit in the jaw, stand in the pocket or scramble out of the pocket and get the ball to a wide receiver who isn't covered by as many defenders as normal because the blitz has created an opportunity. If it, yeah. So I, I see that it turns around in football in a matter of seconds, but you know, most people in life, they kind of don't want to have problems. And they kind of talk themselves into hoping they're not going to have problems. And then they're unprepared for problems. They don't have a game plan. They don't have a strategy. Football teams have a strategy. We prepare. We watch the blitz. We go on the field and practice the blitz. Um, They're always ready with audibles, sight adjusts, all this cool stuff. Uh, But in life, hey, we don't want to to get cancer. And we don't want to have marriage trouble. And we don't want our kid to uh, not make the team or break his ankle or uh, have trouble with, with pot or um, you know, whatever it is, uh, we don't want our, our stock market value to go down by, you know, 1,200 points. Um, we don't want our business to struggle uh, or even to go bankrupt. Um, so we don't think about it and we don't prepare for it. And we're not prepared to positively create a good out of a bad situation. So that that's kind of the, the, the basic metaphor. And in life, things don't turn around as quickly as on a four-second football play, but there's some key principles, attitudes and principles a game plan that make it work.
1: Yeah. And I think too, I mean, when I when I heard you talking about that, thinking about that blitz and danger and opportunity, that's also a perspective, right? It's a it's a mental mindset. It's a perspective of if I focus on the danger. Well, you're just going to get smoked every time by the blitz, right? But if, if in your my, in my opinion, obviously, I'm not a, you know, a six foot, 165 pounds. They don't let guys like me play quarterback, but uh, they don't even let us play football. But uh, it's why I'm a golfer. But you know, I'm assuming that that danger. And then you look at opportunity. If we focus on the opportunity, that's why you know the, the Tom Brady's of the world that you mentioned. That's why they become great, right? They look at the opportunity and focus on that. And I think in the business world. We can look at things as danger or we can look at them as opportunities. Do you agree with that?
0: I do. I do. I think you can't be naive and not see the danger, but your perspective, as you were saying so wisely, needs to redefine the danger as opportunity and look for the opportunity and expect the danger to come. Um, That's why uh, you build a phenomenal team and you you build a culture where the brain power of everyone from the person who answers the phone to the person who's cleaning the floors and toilets to the person who's in you know frontline sales uh, to the person who's managing the sales team or the IT person uh, the the head of marketing or sales you know uh, up to the CEO you need you need the brain power of everyone not just the leadership team certainly not just the CEO the, CEO, right. the CEO's brain cannot get inside the customers situation and challenges and and needs as well as the frontline salesperson so a great team where people value one another and they value their roles and then they have accurate honest communication about trials and difficulties and blitzes things that didn't go well they're not afraid to take blame and they're not afraid to point out that hey that didn't work well and i don't think that that idea is really good Uh, when you have that kind of freedom and trust on your team you got more brain power and you can handle the curveballs, the blitzes and the challenges, the marketplace and life throw at you.
1: I could not agree more, Jeff. So let's talk about fears. How many fears did you put in your mind uh, as you were playing in the business world? Now, even growing up, talk to us about fear and what role that played in your life.
0: Um, I think my biggest fear was not being significant, not being popular, not being a success. Um, I was kind of willing to put up with that for a while, um, and, and that's why I persevered so much, but I was kind of driven somewhat by that. Um, and you know, fear can be a motivator in some ways. Uh, it's not the best motivator. I think stewardship and love are the greatest motivators. If you're incredibly grateful that you've been given life, and you're really grateful that you have gifts, and you're humble enough to know that you didn't give yourself life or give these gifts... Um, and other people are really important and they have some challenges in life. Then all of a sudden you start thinking, man, I want to steward this life and my gifts, my skills, my business, uh, the message that God's given me. I want to steward this in the best way possible to help other people. I want to leave the world a better place than it it was before I got here. I want to love people. Um, I'll tell you what, all the research on happiness and satisfaction in life shows that the happiest people are not the richest they're not the ones with the most accomplishments. They're the ones who are the most grateful and the most other-centered and who sacrifice on behalf of relationships. The ones who love the most are the most satisfied and joyful. That's where happiness comes. It's, it's, it's as a, it comes as a byproduct, not from pursuing happiness. It comes from pursuing love and relationships and serving and making life better for others. Um, so I think that's, that's a best, better motivator than, than fear, um, though fear wakes you up sometimes, oh my gosh, I don't want to get hit by this guy. I got to figure out what to do. This is a blitz. Let's make an adjustment. Um, so I look, can I give you the three principles for, for facing yeah. blitzes?
1: Yeah, real quick. Well, absolutely. But I got a follow-up question on that fear because every, every, every one of these podcasts we've asked this, but do it first. How many of the fears, uh, have you put in your mind, uh, actually came true to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be,
0: uh, never. Yeah. Yeah. You know, fears. Fears are always kind of uh, exaggerated. It's kind of like the uh, expectations we ex- we we expect other people to do do things for us, and then we're disappointed. Um, fears are exaggerated, and the reality is life isn't as bad as the fears magnify them to be. And sometimes the thing you feared is actually. Something that turned out to be one of the chapters of life where you learn the absolute most. I mean, I got traded and didn't like it, but I got to go to a better team and learn how to play. Uh, I got traded again and I found out, wow, my purpose is to invest in people, not just to play football. Um, I got cut from the NFL and it set me free uh, to pursue the the mission I had to help marriages and families. So your fears uh, are often exaggerated.
1: So let's talk about those uh, three principles you're talking about for facing the blitz. Number one is what?
0: Yeah. So the number one uh, perspective that you need to have is you need to have a long-term perspective about life. This weekend, this issue, this moment isn't the whole picture. You need a long-term perspective. I'm going to persevere and this will turn around in time. Number two is, you know what? I got to be willing to change. I got to audibilize. I got to sight adjust. I need to adapt. And the main thing I mean by being willing to change is, Uh, Not just do things differently, which does make sense. If you keep doing things the same and it's not working, you know, that's the definition of insanity to keep doing them. You got to change, but you need to change as a person and start having um, a different character. If you're someone who talks all the time, you got to start listening. If you never talk, you got to start speaking up. If you throw your money around and spend it and never save any, you need to start saving. But if you save it all, never take anyone to dinner or have a vacation or give any money to, to a needy cause you need to start giving. Um, And if you're a person who never apologizes, I bet your relationships are in bad shape. So you need to start apologizing. And same applies to forgiveness. You need to learn to start forgiving. So that's what I mean. Number one, a long-term view. But number two, be willing to change. Let the blitz change you to be a better person. And cancer, for example, has changed many people to be a better person. Uh, going through a trial has changed many people to be a better person. A lot of people, when their life got smashed, finally cried out to God, found him, discovered love, figured out how to love other people, and became a way better person. They changed uh, because they developed a faith in Christ. They trusted God. Um, and finally, the the third key to blitzes is, is you got to take your eyes off your little pitiful self, you and your pity party, and you need to focus on blessing and encouraging and reaching out to others. When, uh, when I was uh, trying out for the Eagles in 1992, my last season, I had a, a bad training camp. I wasn't getting any reps. No one was catching the ball, no protection, and I couldn't find a house to rent for my family. And I kept complaining to Stacy on the phone each night. She said, Jeff, you just seem kind of wound up by your circumstances. Maybe you need to find someone on the team who's struggling and, and try to encourage them. So I found this guy. Saron Stacy, Stacey, a, a, a rookie, number one draft pick. He was depressed and lonely, and guys were making fun of him. He wasn't playing well. And I just started taking him to meals, patting him on the back, encouraging him, praying for him, hung out with him, made him feel like he had a friend on the team, and he did. He made the team, and I got cut. It didn't change my circumstances, hmm. it, but it changed my ability to handle my circumstances.
1: And that's a humbling moment too. So
0: you need a long-term perspective. You need a willingness to change and become a different and better person with different character. Do some, do some things differently than you used to. And third, stop focusing on yourself and focus on blessing others.
1: I like that. So let's talk about the Jeff Kemp of 20 years ago. What do you tell that guy looking back now? What do you tell him?
0: Oh, wow. Um, anchor it all in your vertical relationship with God. Uh, If if you build your relationship with God to be the center point of your life, he will guide you to do the best things possible with the rest of your life. And I kind of remember having a little bit of an attitude like, hey, I'm going to go to God to get some help so I can make a great life. And I think the better perspective is uh, I'm not even smart enough to figure out what a great life is. The best thing in life is to be close to the one who made me. And he doesn't waste our lives. And if I get close to him, he'll guide me to be a really good husband, a really good dad, a cool entrepreneur, and a a positive influence in the world, Um, a speaker that has a message that changes lives instead of just entertains. Um, So I think the main thing is um, trust God and seek him not for what he's going to do for you, but just because you trust him and he's, he's the center point of life.
1: So let's talk about, uh, let's have some fun here and talk about your, your football playing days. What was the, what was the greatest game that you were a part of?
0: One of my best memories is the last game I ever played. We played the Redskins in 91. Uh, I was on the Eagles and they won the Super Bowl that season. So I think they'd only lost like one game before.
1: Doug Williams year,
0: uh, quarterback was Mark Rippon.
1: Oh yeah, that's right.
0: And, uh, Um, we were getting beat badly in the first half and there was no protection. Uh, We'd already missed the playoffs. We ended up the season uh, 10 and six. Um, We were nine and six at this point, but we weren't going to make the playoffs. And so there really wasn't a lot of aggressive uh, motivation for our team. But for me, a backup quarterback getting the chance to start every game mattered, man. And I I was fighting, you know, uh, tooth and nail. And uh, I was getting sacked and hit and knocked down. And I remember at halftime, guys apologizing to me. And I said, hey, don't apologize. Just block. <laughs> Come on.
1: Right. Let's, just do your job so don't die out let's, there. No,
0: but, and not only that, but I was saying, we can win. We can win. Let's turn this around. Let's win. And uh, sure enough, we started clawing back and we turned the game around. And uh, we ended up winning on a last-second field goal. And uh, a couple touchdown passes, a two-point conversion – and uh, a phenomenal comeback, a great victory over Super Bowl champion that year. Uh, That was one of the greatest memories. Another cool one was we were playing the Dolphins when Don Shula was coaching, and my my college receiver um, and one of my best friends is David Shula, his son. Dave was a a coach on the Dolphins. Marino was our quarterback, and they had an amazing group of receivers and just a phenomenal team, and we went down there with the 49ers and uh, we came from behind and, and beat them on a on a go route to Jerry Rice that I still remember, you know, talking to Bill Walsh on the sideline and what, what play can help us win here. And he gave this play, told me to look off the safety and get it to Jerry. And I did just like he said, and Jerry caught it and went in the end zone and we, and we beat the, the Dolphins. And it was just kind of fun to, to beat Don Shula and uh, my buddy Dave um, and to play with such phenomenal athletes as, as Jerry Rice.
1: Yeah, that, that's what's going to be one of my questions is, what did you learn from a, a Jerry Rice, a Joe Montana? I mean, arguably two of the greatest at their respective uh, positions of all time, and here you are playing with them. What did you learn from those guys?
0: Oh, I'll throw Steve Largent and Reggie White in the equation.
1: Oh, boy. Those
0: are two. Yeah, other, two
1: so you other, played with some, literally some legends. Yeah, two
0: other Hall of Famers. Um, from, from Bill Walsh, the coach, I learned uh, how to cast vision and then value every single teammate's role and make sure that everyone appreciates one another's role, and then you're more willing to sacrifice. And every little detail matters. Uh, Montana threw a pass to Rice in practice one time and hit him in the shoulder pads, but not one foot out in front of him so he could keep running quite as easily. And uh, Mike Holmgren, quarterback coach, says, great throw, Joe. And, And Walsh stops Mike and says, Mike, that's not a great throw. It's on the shoulder pads. It needs to be one foot in front of his shoulder pads at a one-foot diameter of accuracy so that he can keep running with the ball not slow up in the least, and there's no risk of the ball bouncing off his shoulder pads. That's not a great throw. Our standards are higher than that. Wow. <laughs> well, Holmgren picked that up and continued to teach Montana that. He taught that to Brett Favre. And, yeah, uh, that's, that's Rogers. And- yeah, that's the standard that those guys live up to. Um, and that's what I learned from Steve Largent um, and Jerry their standard of practice, their standard of preparation, the amount of film they watched. They knew the defense better than the coaches or quarterback did. They knew where people were going to be and how to adjust, um, and they held themselves accountable to the highest standards. If you can touch it, you must catch it. Uh, Largent Mm -hmm. Largent would use his head to fool the the defensive back to make him think the ball was underthrown, and then he'd accelerate the last second and catch it, and, and the DB couldn't stop him. Um, those guys worked harder than anyone else, studied harder than anyone else, acted more like a professional, not just like an athlete, and they always made the team better. They were like a coach on the field. From Reggie White, um, he was gifted more than anyone I'd ever seen with, with just you know speed, power, and strength. Um, but he also loved his teammates. And I think one of the cool things about the Eagles – defense back then is those guys wild as they were a lot of the guys didn't have a, a belief in god or a love for god but they loved reggie and he loved them um and he had a huge influence on a lot of their lives he used to invite a bunch of us guys to a broken down sauna in veteran stadium each morning and we'd start the day off and, and he'd kick it off by praying and he never prayed without thanking god for his wife sarah that's one of the things i remember he always said dear god thank you for my awesome wife sarah And That man honored marriage. He made it it, it cool to be married. And I think we need more men uh, that think it's cool to be married, that their wife, imperfect as she is, flawed as she is, she is a perfect gift from God. And if you will treasure her, she'll become more of a treasure to you. Most guys take their wife for granted and they wait for their wife to treat them great. They're not treating her great. They're playing the consumer instead of the investor. And then they think, hey, I'm not going to put as much into this because she's not giving me such a good deal. And pretty soon their 50-50 equation turns into about 10%, 10% in their marriage divorces. Uh, marriage is 100%, 100%. And you got to expect 100 from yourself and not beg them or whine or complain or press them to, to be their best. You need to be your best, which gives them a better chance to be their best.
1: Well, that's phenomenal feedback and from four legends of the sport. That's, uh, that's pretty cool to think back on those memories. I'm sure that's a uh, rock and cheer, tell the grandkids type of stories, man. That's uh, They got a lot to look forward to. Yeah, those are good guys. Let's talk about the White House. Did you have any cool moments there?
0: Uh, one of the cool moments was uh, my dad got the um, Presidential Medal of Freedom. Wow. Which is the yeah. highest civilian – honor you can receive. He got it posthumously. So it was after he died and my mom received it on his behalf. And, uh, uh president Obama, you know, gave a talk about that and honored his, uh, spirit of putting America first and uniting the team and being s- civil, never criticizing other people, only debating ideas, um, what he did on the athletic field and took that team approach to the country. Um, and that was really, really, really fun and, uh, exciting. And of course I, um, Another weird story is I wrote an article one time after giving a speech, or my speech at a college was turned into an article, and it was in a magazine that President Reagan re- read. I think it was about the great lessons from sports, and uh, I got a message on my Mess My phone machine, Jeff, this is Ronald Reagan, and I just want to tell you what a what a great uh, article you had in the Imprimus magazine. I couldn't agree more heartily. Your dad must be so proud of you, and I am too. Just wanted to encourage you. Well, goodbye now. And uh, Wow. I thought someone had made it up and and, and and that it was a joke, and I ended up deleting the message, and and no one ever claimed the joke. And I realized later that was on him. that was President Reagan. <laughs> That was President Reagan, and I and I deleted it. <laughs> That'd be a keeper. I can't even imitate him very well. Sorry to
1: put you. Well, I was gonna say the opposite. I think you got a future in like well, impersonations.
0: No. I've been to the White House and, and you know, one of the things that I would say to people is the more someone lets the White House or the Super Bowl or the corner office, the executive suite, or their asset value, or the amount of trophies or followers they have define them the more they place themselves above other people. And the more they place themselves above other people, the less they become servants. And the less they serve, the worse their marriage and their parenting become, and the less real teamwork occurs around them. So I'm skeptical of success and position and fame and platform that people take to the head. I think success rocks. I love America. I'm a free enterprise guy. I'm an athlete. I'm a competitor. Um, I want to win. I wished I'd won a Super Bowl when I played. But I think there's a giant risk and we see it all over America where arrogance and pride ruins people, their character and relationships because they think they're better than someone else and they let it go to their head. Humility is the most important attitude, period, for life.
1: Well, wow, that's great. So this is a lot of deep thoughts with you today, Jeff. I appreciate uh, you are a man of faith. is uh, obviously can be felt through the microphone, and I uh, really appreciate you sharing that. So where can our listeners find more of Jeff Kemp? Talk about the book, where you can buy that. Obviously, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all that. But uh, I think it's facingtheblitz.com.
0: Yeah, yeah. I have a website um, that has about 95 videos, uh, one-minute videos on a football field. I call it Facing Your Blitz, and I just speak to people about mm. Issues in life, perspective, relationships, teamwork, how to overcome stuff, um, some of the stuff we just talked about, and then of course there's a free sample of the book, uh, a chapter you can download for free, test it out. Tony Dungy's endorsement and some other endorsements. Tony wrote the forward, which is phenomenal. He he was on an airplane, and he told some young guy that sat next to him, "Hey, do you mind if I, uh, you know, stop talking for a few minutes and write this forward for a friend's book?" And the the guy was like a 25 year old man and said, "Hey." let's say this and say this and you should say this. And it's about the blitz. You should do this. And P- t- t- Tony was like, just, I can't believe this guy giving me all this advice. So He, he turns to the guy and says, well, have you ever faced a blitz? And the, the guy starts to cry. And he says, yeah, two, two weeks ago, my little brother died in a car accident. Oh. And for the rest of the plane ride, Tony Dungy had his arm around this guy and was turning to him and was basically fathering him, mentoring him, caring for him, encouraging him, painting the picture of how he lost his son, James, uh, how he he finds hope and solace and healing uh, from a relationship with God, and how, how this guy could find that. Um, so that that's that's the type of stuff that's in the book. Tony Tony Dungy's
1: um, he's quite the man.
0: Forward itself was amazing. So at facingthebliss.com, you can get those videos. I got some cool devotions, a sample chapter, and I am um, I am a speaker. I speak a ton to men's groups about identity, about fathering, uh, a lot about marriage because I believe marriage is the most important team and then i speak to businesses and organizations about facing blitzes, building epic teamwork, gaining an advantage over competitors, um and valuing people and relationships which creates trust and intelligence and a much more nimble and adaptive organization that can handle blitzes and curveballs and uh, ups and downs of the
1: marketplace. And are you on social media?
0: Yeah, yeah, i got a uh a facebook page and also a, a facing the blitz uh page and then uh I'm on Twitter at Jeff Kemp team.
1: Okay, well, great stuff. and I have to uh, publicly thank old John Blumberg for uh, introducing the two of us.
0: John Blumberg is a stud. yeah, uh,
1: he is a stud man your your future grandkids between you guys being the grandpas, you and John. I mean my gosh, <laughs> they're pretty blessed to have some pretty deep thinking guys with them.
0: Now those poor kids are gonna hear way too many speakers <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Them. Yeah. Grandpa, they're both authors. They're both speakers. And all they want to do is tell me what I need to do when I grow up, right? (laughs) Both great men. And I appreciate your time, Jeff. It's been awesome having you on the circuit of success podcast.
0: Thanks, Brett. It's been good talking to you. And I, uh, I wish you the best in your venture. I like the way you're doing this to help others. And I think, I think this is going to make a difference in people's lives because we're all meant to make a difference in others' lives as well.
1: Well, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Yep. My pleasure.